When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We're back, and this is episode 100. Favorite tools, the journey, and what's next? I'm Matt, that's Mike, and this week is our 100th full episode. To be Woo! clear, this is actually episode 100. This this is more than upload 100, but the uploads include the tidbits, and those aren't full episodes. Little disclaimer in there. We decided to make this a Q&A episode, question and answer episode, as well as a, you know, what's next for hat type of thing. Then, if we have time, and only if we have time, to be clear, we will be covering Apple's move to ARM or ARM in our uh, web news. Is ARM is a, is a acronym, right? Yeah, okay. I, yeah, ARM is definitely an acronym. Okay, so I just realized, like, I just spelled it like that, like, just by default. I didn't think of it. But anyway, if you want to support the show, you can go and check us out on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. And now that it's time for our weekly pain points, so, Mike, please take it away, sir. All right. 100th episode, weekly pain point, is not enough time to stream. Uh, I've been really enjoying live streaming on Twitch, on the HTML, all the things Twitch channel, and... I just didn't have enough time to stream last week, which was really disappointing. And I kind of feel like I let myself down. I let all 20 of the uh, the followers that we have on there down. Um, Do we already yeah, have 20 been... followers? Yeah, we have 20 followers. Damn. All right. That's pretty. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty good for two streams. Come on. Now. I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But re- regardless, like uh, I-, I joke, it was just really, really busy week. Um, went on vacation for a little like four day cottage getaway, which was awesome and really needed, although really short, could have used another five days, no problem. But I'm back now in the full swing of things. I hope I'll be able to stream this week. I'm I'm gonna really try on Thursday this week, which is will be the second of July, I believe. So stay tuned for that. I usually stream near the end of the evening, so around eight PM Eastern. So We'll announce it on Instagram and our Discord and our like Twitter, hopefully, so you can follow us on there too as well. So that's about it for me. What about you, Matt? Well, I just wanted to say that uh, many thanks to uh, Keon or Keon. Uh, it's uh, let me just get the spelling here: K I O N E for constantly. This that's the that's the Discord username to be to be clear for constantly reminding me to rewrite the intro and, and you just heard it right there it's short and sweet because obviously it's a transitionary introduction but thank you for that uh and there's more dynamic pieces to this intro so i hope it stays fresh for longer but uh my weekly pain point is uh communication so communication specifically between multiple parties uh, we got a big old problem down here uh to be <laughs> to be frank <laughs> for some reason that when i said that i felt like Okay, this is a really strange reference, but I'm just going to bring it up. You know that movie Unstoppable with Denzel Washington? I yes. felt like a like like one of the old dudes on the train line that was like, "We got a problem down here. Like, we got a serious problem down here." But I when I said that, I don't know why my head like flashed into that, but 
Yeah, we got, <laughs> we got a problem down here. And not, to, uh, not it, to be confused with Unbreakable, which is also train related. Oh my god. I didn't know that, actually. Yeah, that's the Bruce Willis movie where he can't be killed or whatever. What the hell? Yeah, also on a train in an accident. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. I just re- I just made that connection. Uh, but yeah, so well, I'm talking about the excuse me, more realistic, okay, take on 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 a train crisis <laughs> with Captain Kirk himself on there, and uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, basically just a big old communication breakdown between multiple parties, text messages and emails and all kinds of all kinds of stuff, friggin' phone calls, every, everything's out of sync, everything's all screwed up, everything's out of sync. It's a mess, but I mean, we'll get a handle on it. But um, I'm gonna actually let Mike drive the drive this episode. We've divided. We have uh, we've gotten two questions for our Q and A, and we have several parts that we're gonna discuss within those. And then we also have uh, you know the journey. So the journey from the beginning to episode 100, and then you know what's next. And then, like I said, a possible but probably unlikely web news. So Mike, please, sir, take it away to the first question. Okay, so <clears throat> first question that we got was from Twitter from Trey Gordon. So at Trey Gordon on Twitter, thank you for the question. And his question was, let me just uh, bring it up because I kind of have just the headline here. Um, anyway, it was it was about the asking us what our favorite tools are if we were working on our own custom projects. So not so much maybe not so much uh, our you know, customer projects or projects that we take over. If we had a clean slate and we could use any tools that we wanted on a project, any tech stack, what would be those tools slash tech stacks? So to get on with the question is for front end framework, I think everyone knows the answer there. It's Vue.js. Um, now on top of Vue.js, if we're going to be making kind of a static site generator, if SEO is an issue, if we're not making a web, a web app, I would say we would use Nuxt. JS or Gritsum. So those are great static site generators. Um, they both can do static site generation. I think one does it better than the other. I haven't looked them up in a little while, but they have their own kind of positives and negatives as you go through them. And I would definitely choose one of them. I have worked with both and I have found both to be really good. So it would be tough. Like this is what it's weird when you have like two tools that you know can do the job really well and pretty much equally. And you have to decide between the two. I don't know what, I don't know what kind of, uh, how I would, sorry, how I would make that choice. But moving on for a layout or front end kind of, uh, CSS framework, I would use Tailwind. And I had my first experience of being like, oh my God, this is actually a good tool. Pretty good. That eh? I would, yeah, it's pretty, pretty good. good. So I was doing a project and I was just doing a really small component of that project. Just like a little, I can't even remember what it was. It was like a little input box and something on top of the input box. And I was just doing a little bit of styling and I had Tailwind and I realized that I could, I knew exactly what the container of that object had in it because Tailwind has all their CSS in line. All like, it's essentially writing, it's essentially like writing CSS in line. That's all it is. And I know people say like, don't do that because it is kind of messy. But with Tailwind, you kind of use like Tailwind classes and it makes it a little bit more compact. And then you can also have like utility classes where you can create like a custom class that has a bunch of classes inside of it for certain things. Like if you keep on reusing a button, for instance, you can you can create a whole button class for it. And then then it becomes more of like a, a bootstrap 
you know, bootstrap utility class. But with Tailwind, you can also just use regular CSS utilities inside the classes, inside your class tag on your div. And what that allows you to do is never have to go to a different sheet to, to you know, compare your different uh, styles and never have to like go down. It's like if you're doing Vue.js components, like yes, they're in the same a file, but they're in different sections of that file. So whenever I had to go and compare, like, what did this container have? So I can, you know, the child of that container, so I can make sure that it has flex and am I, how am I adjusting it? What's what's it inheriting? Like, what kind of width do I need to do? I would have to go down and check the class and see what it had, then scroll back up and, you know, edit, edit uh, whatever I need to do. Or in general, I would have to keep going up and down my file. You don't have to do that with Tailwind. And that's where I saw its speed. So I think the big thing for me with Tailwind, and I didn't want to get on this much of a tangent for one little tool, but uh, it's just something that kind of came up recently and was surprisingly useful. Well, I I would say that the tangent's worth it because Tailwind at a glance does look sort of like a tool that you can bypass and just sort of ignore. So to, to sort of like bring context to that. If you were, and I don't remember the exact class now, I think it is actually d-none, but if you wanted to, you know, display none on a div in a regular program, uh, you would have, you know, you call it maybe disappear or something like that. That would be the name of your class. And then the property you would set would be like, you know, display none, and that would just be it. Uh, but obviously sometimes other classes that maybe aren't as direct as that, like if someone has like hidden shadow or something as the name, as, as the name of their class, they might name it that and then put display none. And that's what Mike means by he can't, you, it's, it's hard to tell what the div is going to look like. And it's hard to tell what's going to be on that div when people are just naming classes as you would. Right. So, uh, especially in, in the context of projects where classes get out of control, but with, with tailwind, you write it sort of quote unquote inline, but what you're doing is you're using the D dash none class. I believe that's right. Please check the documentation, but D dash none class for display none. And you're doing the same thing with colors and a whole bunch of other things, uh, like margins and like whatever else I, I haven't used it in a while. So, but margins and all the rest of it as classes so you do like you know you know this is the display class this is the color this is this this is that this is this all within the all within the all within the class property in line in the html and then that allows you to just see exactly what's going to happen to that class immediately or what's going to happen to that div immediately and then what mike was saying was if you have if you find yourself constantly copying and pasting that class into the different buttons that you have, then you can make your own class like a traditional, more traditional class that combines a bunch of those other classes. But it allows you to very quickly and rapidly sort of build things out without you constantly flipping back to the CSS and then going into the inspect tools and like unchecking and checking properties and trying to figure out which one's there and which one's broken. Should I have a D none here? Should I have an opacity, you know, at zero here or opacity at hidden rather or like a, or a visibility hidden? Do I need my opacity set? You know, you don't have to do that as much with Tailwind. It's all like you just do it right there. You can see the opacity. You can see the whatever. And then that's it. It's over. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it was a, it was a little bit of a surprise for me. Um, I'm definitely going to be including it in any future projects that I do from scratch. Uh, and yeah, it, I mean, we, we added it for one of our recent projects, our team. And the really difficult thing is explaining why it's good. Like explaining to someone like, why do we need that overhead? But it really, that's the other thing. It doesn't add overhead because you can do tree shaking with it. So what happens is 
you don't have to include the entire package when you build. You can actually only include what you used, which is a very minuscule like library compared to something like a massive boot or like a, a full bootstrap implementation. So it has a lot of positives. I don't see many negatives, so I'm going to keep using it. Uh, moving on here, though, for a backend, I would use one of two things. So if I was creating something that had pretty complex functionality, I, I would be using a Node.js custom backend. I'm familiar with JavaScript. Node.js is a JavaScript-based backend server. That's why I would use it. That's literally the only reason. Uh, there's nothing wrong with PHP if you're familiar with PHP already. Uh, if I was familiar with it, I would use PHP no problem. But I like JavaScript. I don't want to you know learn another language on top for no reason other than the fact that it's it's the standard or whatever. So I would use Node.js for something really, really custom. If I was making just like a blog website or a website that just had a bunch of articles, that's a different thing. I would use a pre-built uh, headless CMS. Sanity.io would be the one I would reach for now. That can change. I've heard great things of Satamic. Um, I've heard great things on uh, Netlify CMS, stuff like that. Like there's plenty of them and there's constantly new ones coming out there that are free, that are open source, whatever. And I'm fully willing to go and reach for them when they come out and try them out. But Sanity right now, I really like, has a nice, generous free tier, uh, enough for, in my opinion, for you to launch your free project and only start monetizing when you can monetize yourself. And kind of, it kind of balances out that way. So I, that's why I like it. Has It's re- pretty robust for like a very, for, for again, getting that like information heavy custom blog up or custom articles, website up or whatever. Like you can you can do a lot with it. I just think if you have a very custom use case, it might be a little bit too much overhead or it might be just a little bit too um, not customizable for you. Like if you have a lot of user management that you have to do, that's a really good example of something where I would probably reach for a package in Node.js rather than like taking uh, sanity and trying to implement a bunch of user management into it. That's that's where I would go with that. Now, for deployment, I've been lately really liking Docker. Now, as much as I like Docker, Docker setup requires a whole other thing. Like I, When I was doing the HTML of Things website, I decided to dive deep into pretty much every aspect of that site. So I was doing the Vue.js front end. I was doing the Node.js backend, and then I'm like, you know what, I'll just dive into Docker as well, because on top of everything else, I want to learn how to deploy. Having to do everything yourself, unless you have infinite time, like unless that's your only project, was a mistake. It was just too much. And Docker, although seems easy on from first glance, has a lot of complex configuration that can happen if you're a newbie to uh, DevOps. So we have someone that's helping us with the Docker right now. I kind of come in there and test it out and stuff. And for our production projects, it's looking like the step forward. Because again, if you're hiring multiple developers, if you have many developers, what Docker allows you to do is create your development environment st- like equal to your production environment. So you're essentially making a small container-sized VM on your computer that's going to load all your code and have it sync to your local file system. And then you can take that same Docker container, go to DigitalOcean or go to LiquidWeb or whatever other hosting platform, we'll talk about that in a second, you want, install Docker on there and literally install that same container for your production environment. And then when you're testing, you're testing the actual production environment one-to-one, which is huge and really easy. And it's also 
you can make it a one-step setup with a, a Docker Compose file where you literally all you have to do in the command line is type in Docker Compose up and it'll set up your development server, your production server. It'll set up your uh, all your code, like linking, your database linking, all that. It'll start your database. It'll start your uh, front end. It'll start your back end all in one command, which is great for getting new people set up because usually when you have a new developer come on, and you don't have a system like this, you have to kind of go through every step with them. And also on different systems, so Mac, Windows, all those steps are different. Where with Docker, it creates a VM for you, like a Linux system. So the steps are the same. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, again, it does take a little bit of investment to get good at it and be able to do the DevOps required, but I fully support that investment. I think if you're into doing your own like you know full stack projects i think it's important and i think if you're ever want to be part of a team and you know docker that could be a very valuable thing that you can take to the workplace to, so, and to be yeah, to be ahead. fair to the the time investment as well is like i i used to be a sysadmin and i was still like a very junior sysadmin after eight months you know on the job and so Docker is very much like a sysadmin type thing. DevOps is very much a sysadmin type of thing. DevOps is just more so you're a sysadmin that is particularly skilled at helping developers do their operations DevOps, literally. Uh, so it is it is a job in and of itself. And I think actually the order, just as a brief zoom out on the whole podcast, this is a great... It's great that we're going through these, these parts and then the next question... You'll get it in a sec. I'm not going to spoil it. But the next question breaks down because you're probably thinking if you're a person that's just learning like Tailwind right now, you're probably thinking, holy crap, this is Docker. There's Digital Ocean. There's this. There's that. There's this. And I mean, yeah, <laughs> like it's and and I, and I mean, I'm working professionally in, in, in this stuff and I don't know half these damn tools uh, and I'm spinning sites up and stuff like that. So I just wanted to like have a brief like kind of zoom out and say that the next question is going to sort of address what you're probably thinking of. Holy crap, there's a lot going on here. And even as a sysadmin per person, like I've gone into the hat site here and there to fix things and I'm pretty quick at fixing it. I don't really know that much Docker, but even then I would need spin up time on Docker if I wanted to do it professionally. Absolutely. 100%. I would need spin up time. And so like, don't feel bad considering like I used to work on like hundreds of servers at once. You know, it's not, it's not easy. This is not just Docker. Isn't easy, let alone all this other stuff. And there's more coming. So I'll let Mike take that away. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so absolutely. Uh, it is not easy. And like, um, it's all doable. That's a thing like it's all doable as, as as long as you take it a step at a time and you're not like overwhelming yourself with like, you know, if you're listening to this just coming into web development and I'm throwing terms at you <laughs> that you don't understand, understand that it's it's difficult for everyone to get to get going. But if you focus on one thing at a time and again, I'll get to it in the next question. But if you focus on one thing at a time, it's all doable. So don't get too overwhelmed. So having said that, with the deployment aspect of it done, where we're going to deploy, if I had to choose again from scratch right now, I like DigitalOcean. Um, it's a preference thing. There's no real reasoning for it. AWS, I'm sure, is fine. Uh, Microsoft, like Azure is fine. Like all those are kind of equal to DigitalOcean in my eyes. And I just, I've used DigitalOcean before. They seem pricing, the pricing seems reasonable. Their system seems reasonable. I like it. It's pretty fast. Their network connection is ridiculous. 
Like that's, that's the thing that always kind of surprises me with them. Like when I'm like, you know, doing a Git pull or something from my repository, it's like, oh, done. Even if it's like a fairly big project. Um, if I'm doing any sort of like NPM install, as we know, sometimes that can take some time, but these are just instantaneous kind of command, uh, instantaneous installs, like instantaneous downloads, especially. So that's been a huge positive for me on DigitalOcean. Um, and then moving on to the next part. So this, like, so what I've said right now is like how I would do a full snack web app or website that I needed to have some complex functionality and I had to like manage it with a team of people and stuff like that. Those are the tools that I would use from a high level. There's also like, you know, IDs and stuff like that. I'm not going to get into right now, but on a high level, that's what I would use. Now, if I had to then take that app and create it for a, you know, iPhone and Android app, like an iOS app, Android app. That's a different thing. So for that, if I had to do that from the start, and I knew that for sure, um, I would probably create a Flutter version of that application, time permitting, uh, and connect it to my backend. So regardless of Sanity or Node.js, Flutter can connect to any backend. It's just it's just going to use your regular requesting service, uh, API requests, and you can always do that and create a full app in Flutter. The reason I choose Flutter over something like uh, Vue Native or React Native is the performance. There's been quite a few articles recently that I've read that Flutter just performs way better than React Native and Vue Native in terms of like how much battery it uses, in terms of its uh, processor utilization, which kind of links to the battery, obviously. The more the more processor is being used, the more... Um, the more utilization, the more battery is going to drain and stuff like that. The, in terms of like just native feel and native access to APIs is also great. And the way it uses resources that it, that's given to it is why I would choose Flutter right now, currently. Uh, maybe that'll change in the future. I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't go and reach out and, you know, build two separate applications in both uh, Swift, which is the iOS language, and Kotlin or Java, which is the Android language, that would be too much. I would definitely choose a cross-platform version. Having said that, if I had to get something quickly packaged, like say like I, I made my web app, everything's working great, and I need to get it out on the app store as soon as possible on both app stores, I would reach for Cordova as well. If it's like if especially if the application doesn't require much native functionality, like I don't need full access to the camera, I don't need full access to like push notifications, APIs, although Cordova does apply, does have access to some of that in a certain way. Um, and I don't need full access to like, you know, do AR stuff or whatever, like, you know, the complicated native functionality. If I don't need that, if it's just an information heavy app or I. Uh, not if it's media heavy. So if it's a media heavy application, I would still go for Flutter for sure. But if it's just information heavy, maybe some images, like if it's just like a few images here and there, I think there's no problem with Cordova. It packages your application as a web app into the native function, native, uh, native, repro um, native binaries, and it allows you to have access to some of the hardware APIs as well if you need them. So it's, it's a great alternative. I've used it many, many times. All, all good there. Not as obviously not as performant. Doesn't feel as native, but it gets the job done. So having said that, that's really it for me on my favorite tools currently at the moment. I'm sure I've missed some. Uh, maybe we'll tweet out a few that we missed as we go. Uh, but Matt, do you have anything to add to these tools? I think you probably have a different idea of what you would do for a front end. Yeah, for sure. So I was going to say that I kind of approach things a little bit differently. I kind of do the well, I do do the 
the sort of websites and the sort of I do a lot of business business admin for us, and I do a lot of the uh, just sort of customers comes in and wants a website. So I never I actually have like a whole different thought process when it comes to a website. I more or less bring you in and say, okay, what do you want? Do you want something fully custom? And fully custom to me is usually like straight up JS or maybe jQuery or something. A CMS of some sort. It could be Sanity or whatever, of which I we learned a little bit of, and then we never ended up using it. So it could be Couch CMS. It could be something like that. And then I end up just making you like a totally custom uh, front end. I might use Tailwind. Uh, I might just use straight up CSS, HTML, JS. It's totally up. I just kind of do it according to the project. And then I basically like plug in plug in a CMS, and I go along my way. So I either do quote quote unquote fully custom. Or I do something like WordPress. If someone's really invested in it, needs a lot of, or has already already has a lot of data, has a lot of time invested in WordPress, I will spin you up a WordPress site. That's totally fine. Um, and I will get assistance because I don't know PHP. So I will get assistance here and there uh, for PHP. And uh, then I'll, I'll kind of business admin it, go through it, troubleshoot problems, those type of things. Because I know enough, obviously, to go through and troubleshoot even some complex uh, WordPress problems. And then, um, or I mean, complex to me anyway. <laughs> and then um, ultimately Webflow as well. So I've put, just because we have a really good client that we work all the time with and they love Webflow, we've been building a lot of Webflow. And because it's literally like as if I'm learning an editing tool, uh, or I literally have learned this editing tool now for hundreds and hundreds of hours, and I use it all the time. It's super fast for me to get things up and running with Webflow, assuming I have time to just sort of sit down and work, uh, of which is short of time these days, which is why I sort of bounce around a lot. Um, I have a lot of different I guess it would be stacks, but I have a lot of stacks. I just don't like think it that way. I always just think like, how am I going to get to the end product and just try to throw things different? So I think that might just be a different because Mike works on web apps a lot of the time and I just work on straight up websites. So the only thing I think of is like, how much content do you have? Oh, well, it sounds like you need a lot of, you need like a big database thing. You're like, Hey, like, do you want it to be super fast? Maybe we should try Webflow because it's really fast, but it's just, you know, it has less it doesn't have like an app or a, in this case, a plugin marketplace like WordPress. So you can't just constantly add functionality. So I, I kind of look at it from more of what the consumer needs. And I just sort of deliver a product, if you will. Um, and that's probably a little ode to what a big, not necessarily always a beginner would do, but what a beginner could do. If you're a person that like knows your, J, your CSS, JS and everything else, you can, for the most part, not every project is going to be like this, but if you need to build a consumer, like a small business, website you could do it with just html js css you don't need to bring in your view js's and your tailwinds and all the rest of it if you don't know those tools you can totally build something viable with just straight up just straight up like you know whatever you know basically if you can spin up a website for yourself you can spin one up for a customer basically you don't need to know all this stuff but if i were to you know, make a web app, I would absolutely go to Mike and be like, yo, what the heck should I be using here? What should I be learning? Absolutely. That's then. So that list that he just listed off is something that I would be, I'd start learning that list is more or less what it is, or at least start looking at the stuff like that and learning that type of stuff. But for me, I just, I'm just on the other side of the business. Basically I'm on the, you got a project. Yep. Done it. You know, stamp of approval, ship it out. Got a project. Yep. Done it. Ship it out. That's it. And then yes, there's maintenance and stuff like that. But the project gets completed and then I just kind of move on and then I go to the next project and, and, and on and on and on and on. So that's just a different way of looking at it. And, and, and that might be the way that you need to look at it or the best way to look at it for if you're after certain jobs on a freelance market, for example. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it really depends on the project that you're going to be given and the amount of time you have and the budget that you have, stuff like that. Like if I had no budget and no time, I would probably be reaching for something that's already pre-built, right? Like some either a WordPress template, Webflow, any of those things, if I can actually just complete the project and I just need to do it. So it really, there's a lot of factors in these decisions. It's also depending on how quickly you can ramp up on different technologies. Like a lot of these things, for instance, Docker, even though I have delved into it and I have made my own compose file and stuff like that, I would still need to ramp up even more so if I needed to do this on my own. Like I would need a, a significant amount of time. So I need to make sure that that amount of time is in the project budget or in the project time frame. Same with sanity.io. I have used it a little bit, but I would need a significant amount of time to ramp up on it. Even Node.js, I'm just, I'm not super familiar with all the backend stuff. So I would still need extra time. So that's the stuff that would add time, add complexity, add budget to the project. But again, it's very specific. Like if you need something that has custom functionality, I can do whatever the heck you want in Node.js on the back end. I can make it secure. I can make it, you know, return whatever information that you want. I can add in GraphQL into there to return the correct information, stuff like that. So it's so variant. I'm just saying these are my favorite tools that I would reach for right now. Not like regardless of the time and, and and budget and stuff like that. So I think uh, you made a really good point there, Matt. Um, there is an easier way of doing this and there is kind of like a, a way that might generate you more income in general. There's sort of like it, it, what it sort of is, is it's um, it's sort of like we have three assembly lines, if you will. And it's like, I have the, cu- the custom assembly line of which I'm using tools in a custom way for you, but I have a, a preset amount of tools or ideas that I'm already going to use and I'm going to make you a quote-unquote custom site. And it is going to be custom, but it's going to be sort of going through the same motions. Or I'm going to build you a Webflow site, or I'm going to fix, maintain, or build you a WordPress site with a template kind of thing. And those are the sort of like the three direct ways just to sort of finish a project. Whereas if something like, if something else comes along, like if, uh, if Hat needed to have its own podcast host. Like I know we, we, we host on Podbean, but let's hypothetically say we needed to have podcast podcast host, excuse me, did not exist. And we had to make our own app. I would have, I would go to Mike and be like, yo, like what should we be building this in? Like, cause this is a, you know, an ongoing constant project that needs to be super future proofed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas somebody with a website is like, Hey, I have a blog. I need it updated. And so I kind of run the assembly lines, if you will, and Mike sort of gets in there and like engineers the solution every time, if you will. Yep. Yep. That's that. That's kind of how we how our workflow goes. Um, but with that, let's move on to the next question here, which is from a Discord user. Uh, his username is Berm. Burimbolo, I think. Burimbolo. Thank you, Matt. Uh, I had trouble saying that, but thank you, Burimbolo, for asking this question. And essentially, what he's asking for is how to learn web development in when you already have a programming background. So he's coming from a C-sharp background, uh, I believe uh, Java and stuff like that. So he has an object-oriented background, it seems. And he wants to get into web development. How would you go about doing that? So, and the other thing that he mentioned is that like people have been telling him to use Angular, React, Node.js, like just throwing a bunch of terms at him. And it could be a little bit overwhelming, which I can fully understand for anyone, even including myself. First of all, let's break, let's break this down. Don't overwhelm yourself. That's the biggest thing. So when you get 
when you want to start shifting in a career or shifting in, shifting in your programming career and you want to get into web development for whatever reason, uh, it could be that web development is very popular. It could be that there are just more opportunities in there. It could be that you just want to learn something new, whatever, um, and you want to go into it. The best way to do is not to get overwhelmed and go in it, kind of break everything down to one piece, a, a fixable, easy, like a, an easy, completable piece. So a big I'm a big proponent of project-based learning. Uh, and if you have a project in mind, and Brimbolo actually has a project in mind, he mentioned that what he wants to do is he wants to create a website that has some forms and it is able to collect some user information from those forms and then also a chat engine. So he has a project in mind. Instead of going at it and being like, okay, I need to learn all this technology to be able to do all of these fun- all this functionality all at the same time. No, break it down. Now it's, from just me looking at it, that kind of project, a website that has a chat engine, a website that has forms, and a website that just has information on it are three very different pieces that can be done with very different technologies. So what I would do if you want to learn web development, the front end side, I would do that first. So make a basic website. All you need for that is CSS layouts and HTML markup language. That's it. You just need to learn those two things. And there's plenty of resources online for learning just those two things, how to build a website. And when you can build a website with those two basic fundamental pieces of web development, you can move on to the next step. So you want to learn JavaScript. You want to learn how to do a little bit of uh, maybe a little bit of backend, whichever one you want to start with first, it's up to you. So if you want to learn how to, let's say the forms, if you want to collect user data, that's most likely going to be a little bit of a backend service, maybe a little bit of JavaScript to collect the information to send it properly, but mostly a backend service. So in this case, I would reach for something like Node.js, like they were saying, uh, but you could also reach for PHP. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're looking for a job right now, PHP is arguably the better language to learn because there's a lot of jobs right now with PHP. Having said that, if you're coming from a C-sharp background, there's also .NET for a backend. Right. So if you want to kind of utilize some of the skills and programming languages that you already know, .NET does use C Sharp in the back end. So you can already kind of utilize one to one your skills just by being a back end developer. And when you go through that, when you go through the, you know, the CSS styling, the HTML, and then go to the back end and be like, oh, wow, I know this. This is really easy. You can find your niche really quickly if you've already have a programming background. That's another thing that can happen. Or you can find out that, oh, I really like this HTML, CSS stuff, and I like design, so maybe I'll go into that. That's why I kind of recommend to still go through with the projects and still do all the little pieces, but always break them up into learnable chunks. Don't look at it as a whole. That's always going to overwhelm you. That's just, there's just In web development, there's just too much, and it's evolving so constantly that you just don't want to go there. And the other thing is that I also don't recommend jumping into a framework right away. So jumping into React or jumping into Vue.js, you can do it. Plenty of people recommend it. Plenty of people do it. I just don't like, I just don't like to do that. I think it's better to build as simple and base functionality as you can initially to get a handle of how stuff works for your first project. And remember, this is a learning project. You're just trying to learn something. You're trying to get a handle of what web development is. And with the skills that you're going to get from this, you can build on, you know, then bringing in something like Vue.js to do your front end and then using CSS layouts and stuff like that inside of Vue.js, maybe bringing in Tailwind and stuff like that. But forget about that. That's You're overwhelming yourself. Just learn what HTML and CSS are. 
how do they work? And then everything else will kind of line up for you. Um, and then with that, with that done, like if you have the backend done, since you're already familiar with the, with .NET or with whatever, it, like maybe you're just, you've chosen Node.js, go and go back to the front end and let's start building something with WebSockets. So that's a JavaScript API that allows you to do real time chat and you'll need to connect it to a backend because the backend server will obviously have to store your chat services, your user services. And now you can bring back your backend service, not only to process your forms and email and stuff like that, but you can also use it for uh, handling your chat. So handling your WebSockets requests, handling your uh, your authentication for users and stuff like that. So that's kind of the, prog- the progression that I would take if I was learning new, having a programming background. Uh, again, it's a little bit more accelerated than someone that's going into a just you know full force zero programming experience. Uh, for them, it's a little bit of a different path, but still similar. Still, again, break it down so don't don't be trying to learn everything. But when you already have a programming background, it'll come easier to you, hundred percent guaranteed. Because in the end, it's just learning a different programming language and different different styling and different uh, architecture. So you're learning how like, you know, the back end to the connects to the front end. It's a little bit different than just doing like a, you know, a C sharp application with a C sharp UI. Um, but it's essentially like the building block pieces are the same. And with that, even with that being said as well, just because you're a programmer, you don't have to build everything. So I know that just take the the most recent example. So real time chat with WebSockets. If you're uh, if you're just learning HTML and CSS, or maybe you want to throw Tailwind in there or something because you've worked with it a while, and you're like, hey, I want to, I now I am ready to throw in a framework. Um, but you don't want to keep like jumping into new things every single time, and you really want to you know, get that UI programming, if you will, down. I don't think you should feel ashamed, and many programmers will, in using something that's pre-made. Something like forms, for example, are just like a pain to submit. So unless you specifically want to learn how to make forms work, there's no reason that you can't just use that. You can't just use like a pre-made form service or a pre-made form like PHP mailer or something like that. There's no reason why you can't use that or a real time chat because there's teams of people that just solely do that. If you wanted to call somebody over the internet, you wouldn't make zoom just because you wanted to do that. And I think that the same sort of principle needs to be applied with something as complex as web dev. If you like install your real time chatting platform and on your website and you just hate it and, or you're really interested in how it works. Absolutely. Go for it. And don't hold yourself back. But also if you're like, man, like if, even if you start and you're like, man, this, this sucks. Like, I don't know how to do the security on this chat. Like the, the typography is all screwed up and maybe like different, character sets are screwing up and I just, I don't want to deal with this. Then just don't deal with it because there's a team of people out there that are running a real-time chat service that's embedded into hundreds of websites. I'm sure there's tons of solutions out there for stuff like this calendars, the whole bit. There's a reason why you don't constantly reinvent the wheel. And with that even being said, even the tools that Mike mentioned in the first question are something that he didn't make. Like he didn't go like, I need something that does the functionality of flutter. And so he went and reached for Flutter. He didn't go and say, I'm going to go and build, build Flutter out because I should have, I like, I should be in control of what I'm doing. So I just think it's, it, it's important to say, just like Mike said, go in and don't reach for the framework right away. Go in and learn the stuff slowly. But if you hit a part, like I personally hate, I don't know, I don't know why this is. And this is weird. I hate forms. 
on regular websites. It, they're they're a pain in the ass. Just to be clear, they're just they're just a pain. And I just use PHP Mailer. I just don't care because they're a pain, and I don't want to keep reinventing the wheel, and I don't want to keep screwing around with it, and I don't want to check if the form's validating and that. I'll use the Bootstrap form because they have like pre-built form components for the most part, I'll use a bootstrap form. I'll plug it in a PHP mailer and I'll, and I'll just send the email and that's the end of it. More or less. I just, I just don't, I don't want to deal with it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just don't want to deal with that particular thing. I didn't go and build the computer chips on the, in this computer, you know, and I just feel like developers in particular and, and even people that are just learning as well, but in particular, developers seem to always want to build everything themselves. And whereas that's admirable and maybe you'll learn a bunch of stuff, it's also hindering you. There's a reason why there's two sides to our business. Whereas like Mike works on, on a few projects, but they're long, long-term projects that he works on all the time and just keeps working on it. And certainly, you know, there'll be a conclusion to those projects one day and new ones will come up. But for me, it's like every month there's a new project coming up. Oh, new project coming up. Got to do this new project coming up. Got to do this because I'm finishing those projects. It's just, it's just different workflows. And it's, and I'm not, I'm not, I didn't invent Webflow. I didn't use Webflow like it and then build my own Webflow to build things together. I'm just going to go and use Webflow. I'm just going to go and use WordPress. I'm just going to go and use Couch CSS. So I just think that's, that's something that I just need to drive home because I know that some people, and you know, you might not be one of them, uh, the, the Burm Bolo, but the person that asked the question to be clear, <laughs> but if I'm mispronouncing that, but the point is you don't need to build everything. You don't need to constantly reinvent the wheel. Feel free to use those plugins. Feel free to use those pre-made components. And especially feel free to use them if it's a pain. If you have a pet peeve and you're just like, I hate nav bars, go get a pre-made nav bar. If you hate dealing with images and light boxes, like I've made custom light boxes in the past because there's been, we've worked on projects where, and I'm not joking, only five years-ish ago, we've had requirements where it's like, this needs to load fast on a 56K connection, dial-up connection. And it's like, oh, all right. And so you cannot use anything. You have to, and like, we had to use a light box, for example. God knows how long that image took to load. We had to compress that thing down to nothing. But we wanted there to be the option for if a person that wanted to wait to see the HD version of the image, to click on the low-res version, and then have... I don't know, probably wait a couple of minutes, probably, but wait a couple of minutes for the light box to show up. But we can't have the light box itself loading. So we had to make a very rudimentary with CSS and a little tiny bit of JS. We had to make it so that that light box component loaded in less than a second on, on 56K connection, just so that the actual image would load. And so we couldn't in, embed other light box things. We just didn't involve them. We just more or less use like CSS transitions and stuff like that and a bunch of preloading and stuff. It, it, it's difficult to get things to run nice on 56K. But the point is, I'm in future projects, I'm just going to use the freaking light box tool that, that uh, uh, almost said that Netflix gave me. Good Lord. That Webflow gave me. I'm not going to go and reinvent the light box again. I'm going to go and use the regular light box that I always use. I can't remember. I was just Google and it's always the top result, but I'm just going to go and use that light box. I'm not going to go and reinvent the light box unless I need to. And then once I need to, then sure, I'll get some experience with it. So just something I wanted to drive home is there's a reason why I don't know all about like, like a lot of stat, like every stack and all these new tools and stuff like that. And it's because... I'm just using a whole bunch of tools and throwing them all together. And I have obviously expertise doing that with troubleshooting. And then I just like reach out for help whenever I need it or want it. And then we just go. 
And that's that's just it. There, we have a project coming up. I'm not going to like say what's happening because for security purpose. But I had a meeting. Decided that Mike should sit on the next meeting because it started getting into the point where it was nitty gritty with data flying around and everything else. And I was like, all right, we should probably have Mike in this call. And there you go. Reach over help. Mike, you need to sit in this call. Okay, moving on. Next thing. So then I know, okay, I need to build out the Webflow part or the WordPress part or the whatever. And Mike will deal with, you know, screwing out the database or whatever it needs to do. So that, that that's what I mean is you don't need to learn everything. And I've been in this industry for years and I don't even like, I know what Node.js is, but I don't, I don't know how to use it. I couldn't even turn it on. Couldn't even turn it on. Put it that way. So just an FYI. So I think this is an extremely important point. Um, the whole thing with being a developer, and regardless, I don't think it's, it's a web development thing. I think it's an any development any development thing, is can you solve the problem put in front of you? The end user does not care. Even if he's a developer, the end user does not care what stack you use. The end user does not care where you got the solution. If you copied it from that guy over there, if you literally took the exact same Stack Overflow article and copied it and put it into the thing, if it does what the requirements say it does, period, that's it. That's really all that matters. Like Matt said, there are situations where the requirements dictate that you have to create something custom. Mm-hmm. That does happen. It happens pretty rarely. It's literally like happened pretty, once in that Lightbox example, one time in our, yeah. in our whole tenure. <laughs> yeah, like I, I've, I've, I've had it happen a few other times because I deal with more like of the uh, development side of it, of things. I've had it happen a few other times. But for the most part, and I'm not ashamed of this, I will go on Google and type in the problem. And I've gotten really good at that. And whatever the solution that comes up, I'll take that, manipulate it, put it into my thing and try to do the, my, the best I can to... to uh, continue on to the next problem. I try to solve the problem as quickly as possible. And that seemed to have worked. So my, it's 100% valid to be a really good Googler and be able to put stuff together. Now, having said that, to do that, before I could do that, I had to learn how to Google. And before I could learn how to Google, I did need to learn the basics. Mm-hmm. So I did need a good understanding of what JavaScript is to be able to then go in and figure out how to manipulate it. But once I got that understanding, I'm not going to go in there and ha- try to figure out how to create a light box for whatever reason, like how to make it so that when you click outside of the light box, it goes, it, 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 you know, it closes or whatever, or how to make that configurable. I can do that. There's no doubt in my mind that I can go in there and do that. And I've done it before, but regardless, I'm not going to go in there and learn that and memorize how to do that. No choice, no point. So I think it's really important to note that because some people think it's cheating or think it's unfair that you go on Google and find the solution and then use that solution. And then you're like, okay, I've solved the problem, but it wasn't really me. Like I've had that situation a few times when I'm doing code reviews. They're like, I feel really bad because I went and found the solution. I didn't really write it, but I implemented it. And just like, no, that's exactly what we want. Not only did you know how to, imp- how to Google it, you knew how to implement it and you solved the problem. Did you use a free light? Like, are you using Stack Overflow? Like, hopefully you didn't, you know, break apart a closed source application and stole their code. Really hoping that that's not the case. But as long as you use something that's freely available out there that's on a form or Stack Overflow and it's not a licensing issue, yes, that's why it's there. Use it. If you know how to do that, that's part of being a developer, a very big part. So... Thanks for bringing that up, Matt. Uh, that is a big, big part of it. So when you're going and the intention of this process that I've outlined is when you're going through it, you're going to be Googling and looking up videos and copy pasting a lot. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Don't think that that's 
not the way to learn. Go and copy paste, manipulate what you've copy pasted, figure out what that is. Like go take a, you know, an HTML, CSS already pre-built template and take a look at what's going on in there. Then try to build something on your own and maybe use some of the information that you learned from that. So there's really no fully wrong way to learn, right? But uh, try to, at least try to understand the basics of the languages. At least try to understand the basics of all the different components and how they work together. That's where I would go. Like I wouldn't take a full project and just change the name and the colors. No, that's, you know, you're not going to learn a lot there. Unless, to be fair, if that's going to complete the task, like if someone is like, I need a project, you know, whatever, I need like a gaming website with this, and you find that gaming website as a free open source template exactly to the to the customer's requirements, and you just need to change the name and the logo. Done. Who yeah. am I D- to done tell you not to do there. that? Do it. Who cares? Do it. Like, why, why exactly. would you build it again? Why would you yeah. build it again? It just doesn't make any sense. Unless you're there for the education of learning yeah. how, how somebody puts something together, or you're super interested, why, would, why wouldn't you just use the tool there? Yep. And you're doing a disservice for by not doing that to the customer. Because that whatever you're using is most likely a pretty vetted platform that's already stable and already good to go. And you're saving them money. Because like if you do that, you can pass the savings on to the customer. Like you can, you know, you don't have to like take the full price if you find exactly the thing. You can pass a little bit of the savings on to the customer. They're going to be happy. You're going to be happy. You can move on to the next project. So stuff like that is very much a part of web development. And learning how to do it early on is important as well. So having said that, uh, hopefully that answered your question and let's move on to talking about, you know, this being episode hundred and what it's like being here. Like, did you think Matt, that we would make a hundred episodes? No, actually. Um, I know that we started in the summer of 2018. I want to say, I believe it was 2018. Uh, and I remember that we kind of were humming and hawing about whether or not this was going to be weekly, whether it was going to be monthly and it, slowly but surely became sort of the main the main thing the main thing of hat uh html all the things was supposed to be a big it was supposed to be different uh quite a bit different actually it was supposed to be a big developer resource a big developer resource center of which it still is sort of a resource of course you can listen to the show and learn some stuff but it was supposed to be i was gonna you can go back to our first instagram post and we had templates ideas and stuff like that all on there and we were supposed to be like, hey, I'll, I'll, whenever, whenever I have downtime, I'll spin up a template because I'll be working on web dev anyway. I'll spin up a template. I'll just get better at whatever tool or whatever stack or whatever the heck I'm using at the time. And then I'll ship it out there. And that'll basically act as not only a portfolio for digital dynasty design, which is Mike and my uh, web agency, but also it's going to be, you know, a free resource for people. And then I remember we kept, kept, trying it or like i i have like for example the first template i was going to build was roma and i have sort of like a really basic roma working and i remember just thinking to myself like we need to have something that keeps us accountable and doing this every week because if i get busy for three weeks and then have to go back to roma i'm just not going to want to work on it and that ended up happening a few times where i would just wouldn't i would we'd get pulled off on a project and it would be like this isn't sustainable because People are going to forget who we are. We're trying to build sort of a reputation or sort of a brand or a, an influence, basically an influencer brand. And 
it just wasn't feasible the way it was designed. And so that's kind of where the podcast came in, where it was supposed to be our piece of accountability, where every week we show up, you know, barring vacations and stuff like that. And we just, you know, converse. We, we, we converse about what we did that week. We converse with guests about what they're up to. We converse about what we've learned, what our hardships are, what everything is. And that's sort of what it became. And then the brand sort of grew into this thing where it's like, actually, it's a podcast. That's the bill. That's the big thing. It's a podcast. And it's about teaching at what I think is an accessible level. Mike and I had a Mike and I had a discussion earlier about the podcast. And what I said to him was, and, and you, know, you as the listener can correct me on social media or whatever with some feedback. But I think that what we do is we approach each tool, each library, each framework, each whatever with certainly a a higher level of expertise than we did before. Obviously, as we learn and go through the industry, we are learning better, better things, but we approach it like as if the UX of it is we have more experience, but the actual using of it, we approach like as if we, if it's the first time. So I'll give an example to clarify that because that's pretty convoluted. So we more or less started with, uh, I was going to say Dreamweaver, but we only used that like once. So uh, I'd say more like WordPress. We used WordPress for a while. Then we used Couch CMS. And then we used Webflow. Those are sort of our three big CMSs. And then we also have Typo in there as well, which is a newer one. But if we just take the, the three sort of main ones that we have big projects out there on, uh, I would say that we when we talk about Couch CMS, let's say I use Couch CMS for years or whatever, and I get really good at it. I now know what I want out of a CMS, for example. So I know I want these checkboxes. I want these toggles. I know that users understand these toggles better. I know that the images should have help text that tells them what resolution to put things up at so that they don't have to call me and say, hey, why isn't this fitting and stuff like that. So I learned those things. And those things, those common things come with me from CMS to CMS, but there's a specific difference. And the specific difference is on the show... I try to approach each CMS completely different, but with those commonalities intact. So, for example, when I talk about Webflow, I try to talk to talk about Webflow uh, in like if it's the fir- if it's our first episode on Webflow, I try to talk about it like as if it's the first time I'm using a CMS, but I'm driving my own experience. So I'm literally saying like, I like Webflow because it gives me the ability to have this helper text and it gives me the ability to have these toggles. So I'm bringing with me the experience of, hey, this is what I think a CMS should be. And as I keep using CMSs, I hone that experience. So I bring that experience to the table, but I'm not I'm not coming in saying like, well, did you get the classes and do this and that? And did you, did you flip the thing around? And is your JSON file okay? What about your inline stuff? I'm not coming in and being like, already being like, whoa, like, you know, look at all these features and crap like that. I'm literally coming in and saying like, oh, here's Webflow. This is what Webflow is about. And I think that that's sort of what Mike and my brand, at least at the moment, because things, you know, like divulge and change, but at least at the moment, that's what Mike and my brand is, is we approach each new topic with the fact that we have, you know, past experiences, but we treat it like at the hello world level where we come in and we go like, oh, this is Webflow and, you know, Webflow has a CMS built in, but it's optional and you can export the code and stuff like that. I'm not just coming in and being like, yeah, you can export the code, but have you heard about symbols and have you heard about all this crazy stuff? We approach it at ground level. 
And I think that that's sort of what defines our show. And we've looked back at a few of the reviews on the sh- of the show from 2018, 19-ish, something like that, on uh, Apple Podcasts. And that's sort of the impression I get from those written reviews as well, is that people seem to appreciate that I'm not coming in where... Uh, so, for example, Mike knows Flutter and Cordova. If Mike talks about Cordova, he talks about it from the ground up. He doesn't learn Flutter and knows, you know, all this stuff that he needs to know, and then immediately comes in and be like, well, does it have a, does it have a precompiler? And then everyone else is like, wait, hang on a minute here, hang on a minute here, what is, what is Cordova doing? It's like, well, does it have a precompiler? Because we need one of those. So we kind of start at the bottom and go like, oh, this is Cordova, and it does this, and this, and this. And then we kind of throw in the like, hey, in Flutter, I love the fact that I could, I don't know, just make it something up, I love the fact that I could name my version, or something. Does this have version numbering? Yeah, it does. And then we'll mention like, hey, you know, you should always version number your stuff like this because in our experience, it helps us, you know, solve problems or solve trouble or do troubleshooting. So I I, I just think that that has sort of become a core value of the podcast. Yeah. I mean, I think I think you hit it there like that. We we do try to do it from the beginner level. The whole time. So we are a podcast that's designed for web developers of any skill, but we do target a more beginner audience because we ourselves, like, I think I saw our work anniversary of six years for Digital Dynasty. So we've been at it for six years. That's not, we're not seniors of anything, really. Yeah. Like, realistically, six years isn't that too much of a time in the grand scheme of things. So we try to do it at a level that we would want to learn at. That's the thing. Like we we want to make content that we would ourselves want to hear, um, and there is great content already out there. It's not, I'm not saying like I'm not saying anyone's doing it wrong. That's for sure. Like syntax.fm, like that podcast is great, um, and it's you know I would recommend it to anyone, even beginners. But if you want something that's a little bit more like to your level when you're first starting out, someone that's just getting into school for it. I think that's what we're trying to aim for. We do try to bring that kind of experience to the table. Um, now, having said that, it goes without saying that in certain situations, we do get a little bit technical. Uh, we do try to build on low and then go high. But regardless, we, we, we sometimes forget how, how stuff is complicated. So like sometimes we'll say cross-platform development without saying what cross-platform development is because we think that's assumed. So cross-platform development, really, like realistically, if you want to go from the very ground level, is being able to build an application having one code base. So, and again, if you want to, again, break that down, code base. Code base is just your core files, your code files. If you want to have one code base for across multiple different platforms like iOS, which is the Apple platform, Android, and Windows, and uh, web web standards so like chrome like if you go to chrome browser that's what cross-platform development is having one code base multiple platforms we don't do that every time so that's something we could maybe work on but in my opinion like it is a progressive process so if you start listening to us from the beginning you will learn with us as we go with it and you will know like by the end if you start listening from the episode one and are listening right now we don't need to explain cross-platform development with you because we have done that. We have tried to do that as we go. So once or twice, we have said what cross-platform development is. Sometimes, maybe that's not enough, and you can let us know again on the socials if we are doing enough of that, but we do try to bring it down 
to a level that a beginner can at least comprehend and start picking up words. Because that's the other thing that we want to do. We want to make sure that people are familiar with industry terms. Like if you're, okay, in a couple of different situations that this could apply to, you're in a job like a, a web agency and you've been there for a long, long time and you're only using one stack because they're just comfortable with it. Fair. Uh, but you want you want to start looking for a job and you start looking and you, all you see is, you know, React, Angular, view svelte and you're just you just get overwhelmed with the terms what we want to do is we want to bring those terms to you in a way that you'll understand what they are and be able to go in and learn them yourself going forward that's what we want to bring so we want to keep you up to date on the industry as much as we can that's why we have web news sometimes that's actual news that's why we have episodes that are very relevant to the current technologies that are up up and coming maybe not the current ones that are dominating but the ones that we think are going to be the next thing so that's where I think we're at. Uh, that's how we, and that, that's how we've been progressing through these hundred episodes. Um, and yeah, w- w- I think we should talk about what's next. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. So, um, I think that I've been uh, actually working on honing interview craft, if you will, uh, and I've also been trying to remove the word like as much from my curriculum or my curriculum, my uh, speech. I say the word like quite a bit and I've sort of replaced it with the phrase, you know, <laughs> so, but I'm trying to get better at that, trying to get better at not speaking so quick. And so I'm honing or trying to hone my interview craft, but also just my podcast craft as well. And with that being said, I think more guests uh, with different backgrounds and different voices from all over the industry, uh, we have an interesting guest that we're looking to get that isn't even in development, uh, but it is related to development. I'm not going to spoil it. So it's still going to be very relevant, but not going to be all about the technicals like, hey, what's this USB port doing? Or, hey, what's this router doing? Or whatever. So I think that in terms of the future of the show the future of the show is going to be same type of thing. Mike and I are still going to explore new topics to talk about new things, do this, do the pretty much the exact same thing. I just think that it would be nice to have just more episodes, not all of them, but more episodes on with guests where we bring people in. And I think what ultimately it's going to do is if we have a guest that suggests something interesting or is using a piece of tech in an interesting manner that we're going to, probably get more episodes out of that actually if you think about it mike and i might be like whoa that's that's interesting what's that and then take take those and spin them off into unique episodes as well and then also uh i know and i'll let mike take it away to an extent but i'll kind of touch on this as well more live streaming on twitch so we're slowly but surely adding more content um but mike and i had just had a discussion where every single time we try to add more content we just get screwed over by more client work which is fine like client work client work we got to do it Uh, but we're slowly but surely adding stuff. So I am personally going to be live streaming Webflow on Twitch. Uh, I've never built on Webflow. I've never built a fully custom website on there. I've built with templates and I've built fully custom pages or everything but the nav bar, let's say, but I've built fully custom pages, but never right from scratch, never right from just here's your you know, your white piece of paper effectively. So I think that it would be interesting and also revealing, (laughs) I guess, if I basically take the, the hat 
website project, which we've talked about so much over the last year-ish, and just do it. It's it's accountability, it's content, and I think it's going to be interesting. I don't think a lot of people talk about Webflow too much. I know there's a few YouTube creators that do. Flux is one of them. But I think it'd be interesting to sort of live stream it and say, okay, I don't really know, you know how to manage these classes and all that too too well because they've always been kind of pre-made for me in the in the templates and so certainly i've been my own custom components but let's see what happens when i make it all the way from you know top to bottom and i think that's going to be sort of where i'm heading with it and i don't know at this at this current time we don't have a stream stream schedule but i think what the twitch is going to allow us to do is the twitch is going to allow us to have a little bit of accountability and we've said this before with the no BS news for Reddit. We're like, we're going to have accountability. We've said it on the podcast now. It'll be out. Well, if you look it up, it ain't, it ain't around. So <laughs> so I think that the Twitch is basically going to be a perfect time for us to literally get something done. My, when I come on there, I'm going to maybe a little bit of showmanship. Sure, of course. I'm not going to like show up like naked on a freaking webcam or something. But I'm I'm not. I'm also going to be... I'm also going to literally work on the hat website and I'm going to, you're going to see live me spinning up a blog on a platform that I'm familiar with using it in a way that I'm not. And you'll see the ins and outs of it and how it works. And it's probably, it's going to take hours, but that's, I think, I think what we need to do is basically we're doing content. Mike and I are doing content at the end of the day without making it into content. If that makes sense, where we will work like crazy on no BS news for Reddit, but then only kind of shoot a few 30 second videos, minute videos or something. Whereas on a live stream, Oh, it's time to stream. I guess I'll get an hour done on, in this case, the hat website. I guess I'll get an hour done on this app we want to build and it's public stuff. Obviously we're not, we can't show all of our work publicly because it's client work and stuff. But for something like this, it's like, yeah, Hey, we're going to build this on Webflow. Here you go. This is how we're going to do it. And then we have, other projects that we want to do or improvements that we're going to do to the site or whatever it is. And I think that that's where I'm going to go with the Twitch. So right now I'm going to start out with the hat website. I'm going to start that relatively soon. And then Mike will continue. I'll I'll, I'll let Mike kind of take it away on on the what's next here, but uh, Mike will continue. I'm sure his D and D app. Yeah. So on, on the live streaming, that's what I wanted to say. I do want to make that a more regular thing. So at least once a week, maybe even try to get it twice a week. It's tough because of scheduling, but I'm going to try to do it on a more regular basis. And whether I continue with the D&D app, I'll probably do, I will do a finishing segment on it at least. Um, but what I want to do is I want to find an application that really, like the tools that I was talking about, I want to go through and actually be able to use all those tools on an application. Um And I want to find something that will be useful to people. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to vet a few ideas and I might do it live on the stream. So you guys can, uh, can join me on like an idea vetting stream on what to do next after my D and D app. But that's going to be the real app that I'm going to be live streaming, the real app that's going to be content generation, the real app that I'm going to hopefully go on a really long learning journey with everyone. And you guys can learn, we can learn, uh, and, maybe even build it together like i i do want to get some uh some guests on the stream sometimes maybe some specialty guests of like people that are really good with docker for instance or something like that where they can take me through some some uh some like advanced functionality and we can all learn together so that's kind of my direction for live streaming i do like it um 
I like the chatting. I like the, the, the accountability is a big one for me. Um, and I want to continue with it. So I think, like you said, po- continue with the podcast. Uh, it's going really well. We want to continue doing as much as we can. Any feedback that you guys have, let us know. We always implement feedback pretty instantaneously as long as it's something that we kind of, you know, get consensus on and it's not radical. Um, but live streaming is the next big piece of content. The site on its own, we're going to, it's going to be interesting piece as well. Um, that I'm excited about and we're going to have to figure out what kind of content is going to go on there. Cause we know now, like we're going to have guest pieces. We're going to have like, you know, community spotlight pieces. We're going to have, uh, featured articles that we ourselves have enjoyed. So on like a di- on different platforms, we're going to be hosting articles from different platforms that are at least links to them. And then we're going to have our own written content, which we, we need, really need to kind of write on our own, which is going to be the challenge. That's going to be where we need to kind of dedicate time and effort to hat that we aren't right now. Cause right now we're kind of dedicating a certain amount of time to create the podcast notes and do all the research, but then on top of that, we're going to have to also take it and create written content as well on either a weekly or bi week. I don't know. I don't know what our schedule is going to be like, but I'm excited for that website to be live to uh, to demonstrate some of it. Yeah, that's a really good that that that's a really good thing that I actually gl- uh, kind of uh, grazed over there. So definitely the website content itself. Obviously, we're going to have the podcast on there, the show notes, but we have a really interesting content plan that I think is going to keep things active, but also be very accessible for Mike and I, even on a busy day to at least quickly say, hey, we like this article, go check it out kind of thing. So uh, we want to get the community involved as well to an extent. And we don't know, you know, all the logistics of that yet, but we'll figure that out as we go, of course. And then, I mean, I guess also what's next is also our Patreon. So we've, we have stickers being developed. Uh, We've already shown some of those. And as the in in a lot of places, at least as the pandemic slowly goes away, we're going to become more uh, okay with shipping things. And uh, then we might start shipping out, like, get that tier going with the stickers and ship that out as well. So, you know, we're hoping to get things going uh, as the world opens up slowly. We are also, I guess, doing the same thing. We've been, we, as long with, along with a bunch of other people, have just kind of been coasting through this pandemic. But... Now we're kind of, I mean, episode 100, kind of the perfect time. World's opening up slowly. We might as well do the same. So that's sort of where we're going. Uh, And I guess we might as well make our big giveaway announcement then, Mike. So we also have an an announcement that there will be an announcement. (laughs) So as as a a celebration for episode 100, we're also going to be giving away uh, one or more, undecided as of right now, but one or more West Boss courses. So uh, we've already figured out the technical details and that type of thing, and uh, we already know we can do it and all the rest of it. So we are going to be making the big giveaway announcement, meaning I'm going to tell you how to enter to get get this course or courses. And I'm going to be doing that on episode 101, but it's a part of our episode 100 celebration. And uh, we haven't decided on which course yet either. So if you want to tweet... Hmm? We're not doing which course. We're going to leave it to user's choice. We're just going to give away an ability to choose any course from West Boss's repository. So that's that's the technical piece that we worked out with their team. Oh, right. So, right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, we're right. able to buy kind of like a course token and transfer ownership 
so that the person can then choose whatever course he wants. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I forgot that part. So good or thing she. Mike's here. Yeah. yeah. So we have, uh, like I said, we had to figure out some technical stuff. We got all that, you know, easy enough. We got all that uh, sorted. And so next week, make sure you tune in. There's going to be uh, the logistics of the giveaway, but this is sort of the announcement. And I'm going to tweet about it and stuff like that this week as well, of course, um, after after or alongside the this episode's release. And I think... I mean, we're over an hour now. I think we're going to skip the web news. I think we've covered a lot of stuff like that. And uh, I haven't eaten yet today. And it's 7 in, in, at night here, past 7 at night here. So I'm going to go. I mean, that's a lie. I ate a Kit Kat bar. But uh, I'm going to go eat actual food uh, now. <laughs> so thank you all for uh, sticking with us uh, through this journey. Uh, if you're new here, we're happy to have you. And I hope you stick around. And um, we also got to uh, we also get, like to extend our thanks to our three dollar tier patrons. So that's Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. Find him at YouTube.com/slash/RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. Find him at LocalPathComputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital. Find him at BlueBlackDigital.com. Chris from the self Chris from Selfmade Web Designer. Find him at SelfmadeWebDesigner.com. SelfmadeWebDesigner.com. Said it wrong twice. Good job, bud. Uh, Tim from the Web Hacker. Find find him at the webhacker.com and DL Ford from dlford.io. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you're listening to this on, and I'm gonna let this new outro sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All the Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.